Insights, solutions, and networking all come together at RSA Conference. Join a global cybersecurity community at rsaconference.com forward slash ITSP MAG24. Welcome to the ITSP Magazine Podcast Network. You are about to listen to an episode of the Audio Signals Podcast with Marco Ciappelli. In this new season, Audio Signals is repositioning its antennas, focusing not just on the stories, but on the storytellers. In our modern hybrid analog digital society, the art of storytelling has never been more vital or displayed such a diverse array of forms. Recognizing this, our conversations will spotlight the narrators, providing a unique exploration into the minds behind the narratives. From authors to podcasters, visual artists to songwriters, and everything in between, we will engage with all who contribute to this extraordinary tapestry of human experience. We are all made of stories, after all. Hello, everybody. This is Marco Ciappelli. Welcome to another episode of the Audio Signals podcast, where, as you know, I repeat that all the time, I reposition the antenna to get new stories and to focus, actually, not just on the stories, but on the storytellers. So I try to invite a variety of people that tell story in different media. We're talking about musicians, songwriters, actors, uh, writers, of course. And uh, and we can tell story in a lot of different ways. And one of my favorites, actually, through illustration or photography or anything that is visual. And uh, in particular, um, I have been a big fan of, uh, I think, uh, something you can see in the background, a Christmas tree for an episode is a little blurry, but there is a Christmas tree with the peanuts on it. And it's by Garaldi, one of yeah. the probably most famous holiday album of all time. And uh, and well, the connection here, it's simple to make. If you're watching, you're already seeing it. Justin Thompson is here. You happen to have a lot of lives, but uh, the one that is connected to what I say is the fact that he's a senior artist at the Charles Schultz uh, Creative Associates for the peanuts but uh we're gonna just have a cup of coffee here and look into how uh, justin got into this uh this art because of course it is an art and um and we'll talk about a bunch of other things all about storytelling so stay tuned i spoke enough i'm gonna let justin come on and introduce himself hello justin welcome to the show thank you marco uh okay briefly um i'm Justin Thompson. I am an illustrator uh, right now. I, I've done a lot of different things, but in this current incarnation, I am an illustrator and a cartoonist. And I, as uh, Marco said, I work for uh, work for Peanuts up in uh, Santa Rosa, California. <clears throat> um, we don't. Uh, the daily comic strip of Peanuts isn't published anymore. Uh, in the newspapers, they publish repeats. But uh, for about four or five years, we were making comic books with a company called Boom out of New York. And those were news stories based on little stories that were in the strip. So they still were rooted in the strip. So they still had the feel of, uh, of Charles Schultz's sensibilities. 
And I worked on those comics a little bit. I did a little drawing, a lot of inking, a lot of coloring. Uh, and um, that ended. So now uh, I'm a creative consultant on the Snoopy show, which is uh, the new cartoons that are up on uh, Apple TV. The Snoopy show. And then they, we just did a new series with the kids at camp. And uh, Snoopy is the Beagle Scout with the, um, the little birds. These are great little cartoons. They're done by a company called uh, Wild Brain up in Canada. And uh, every step of the animation uh, has to be approved by our studio. By There are five of us that are the creative consultants. I think maybe five or seven of us. And uh, we look at each stage of production and we approve it. We ask for tweaks here and there if something doesn't seem quite Schultz enough. So we're really devoted to keeping uh, Charles Schultz's sensibilities and alive because um, that strip is really all the dimensions in his personality, all the little stories that he wrote in those 50 years of, of that comic strip, the, the people in it, the little kids in it were people that he knew, the voices he heard all day, his internal voices. And that is why it had to stop when he passed away. The family and Charles Schultz made an agreement when, you know, in his last days that the strip would not go on. There would, there would be no ghost writer or new person taking it over, as a lot of the old strips have done. Um, only Schultz could have done that strip. And he's the only one who ever wrote any of the strips, who ever drew any of them. It was all him. He never had a staff. Well, I'm so glad that you went straight ahead there because it was one of the main points that I wanted to touch with you. So <laughs> we, we will talk about, right, you know, like how much the yeah. connection stays when something become uh, much more corporate, much more commercial and the never ending series and sequel even after um, the creator right. is not there anymore. But I'm going to put a pause here on that. And, yeah, get me and back on and, track, Marco. And go and go back on you. So I want to okay. know. I got. I want to know how you ended up there. And I know that when we talked before, exchange a couple of email too, and also I don't know, I'll throw it there. We're both part of the mentor project, and Justin yeah. has done amazing things there. Um, how did you uh, stumble into become uh, who you are now? But also, you make fun of. Uh, few different lives and and i so mirror myself into that because i I've, i feel like i had many jobs in my in my career yeah, <laughs> sure so let's go there i think that's a great thing I, I mean to to have many different jobs and learn lots of different things i have been a cartoonist since i was a little kid you know every, every kid starts out that way and some keep going and and some stop for whatever reason when i um I got in, went into college at Arizona State as an art major, and I really hated it. So I quit after a year and changed my major about three or four times. Wound up as an acting major, and I did very well there. Brought my GPA up from uh, uh, probably a 2.5 all the way up to a, a 3.8 by the time I graduated. Um, that was my niche. So I graduated there as an actor, and I got a scholarship to Rutgers in New Jersey, uh, where I... Uh, I got my master's degree now, and, and then I just hit the boards. I started trying to act in New York, and I went on some tours. I was really good with a sword because I was a fencer at Arizona State. So I did a lot of plays where, um, you know, there was sword play. 
which meant a lot of Shakespeare. So I went on a lot of Shakespeare tours around the country. Um, <clears throat> and somehow, uh, by an association, my roommate at the time, he worked at the New York Renaissance Fair in Tuxedo, New York. And he finally convinced me to, to join in with that. And uh, of all the acting training that I ever had, my first day at that, at that fair as an actor and an improvisational actor, it was like I knew nothing. It was crazy. Um, but, you know, you learn the ropes, you learn how to do improv and everything. And I wound up as a storyteller there my third year there, uh, telling stories to children. So that uh, was a natural progression into storytelling, you know, uh, as an actor. And then I started writing my own stories. And then I started illustrating them. And I published them myself. And then I would read them at Ren Fairs and even sold them at a booth at the Ren Fair while I was doing stunt work there. Um, jousting and sword fighting at the Ren Fair all day. So because I did those books, uh, when it was time to move out to California, my wife and I had had a son. And so we moved out to the Bay Area here in California because we wanted to raise our kid in the West. Uh, I started looking around for jobs. There wasn't much around here. And uh, then I exhausted the very last outlet for a, for jobs, uh, Craigslist, that I, you know, I hadn't tried that. I tried it. There was the listing for the Schultz job. And they said they were looking for somebody who had done uh, who'd done merchandising, who'd worked with properties before. And I did that in New York. I, I was a graphic designer for about five years, um, designing cartoon characters and licensed characters on bedding and bath products. So that got me in there. And when I showed them the books that I had written and illustrated at the fair, they hired me. So that was what tipped me over. Now, the weird part about the Schultz thing is that I was a Charles Schultz fanatic when I was a little boy in the late 60s. That was everything to me. Those specials when they came on, I had the paperback books that were reprints of the uh, strips from the early 60s and late 50s. I would have one in my pocket with me as I went to grade school every single day or there was one in my lunchbox. In sixth grade, my teacher had me draw a mural or paint a mural in his classroom on the back of a book bookshelf. And I painted Snoopy and Charlie Brown and Lucy on it. That was in sixth grade. So this Peanuts thing has kind of followed me along and it feels like it was something bigger than just chance that I would wind up there someday. Right. And I've been there 19 and a half years now. Wow. You know, it makes me think about this is a conversation I recently had with a with a musician. He's, he's a songwriter, uh, Drew, uh, Drew Ryder Smith. And he, he, people can listen to that. It's on the podcast. Little little plug here for myself. But we, we talked about being able to be a chameleon. And I'm, I'm connecting this with you, but still being in the realm of your interest, your, your main focus. So in the music industry, of course, we talk about writing song, playing music, work in a record studio, be a sound engineer, and all of that. And as you're telling me your story, yes, you had different life, but they were all gravitating around that artistic and storyteller. And of course, yeah. your passion for, for uh, you know, uh, the peanuts, yeah, it's, I, it's I, the cherry on top. <laughs> I knew I couldn't 
really be a, in a, a cubicle and do office work and things like that, not out of any arrogance of saying, that's not for me, I'm too good for it. That wasn't it at all. It was just that I knew that I wasn't smart enough for that stuff. Well, I shouldn't shortchange it. I could have pulled it off. I did some temp work when I was an actor. So I did work in some big office buildings in New York. And, but uh, I felt small there because I didn't feel like I belonged. I felt like, oh, any minute now I'm going to screw up and I'm going to do something terrible because I just didn't get that world, you know? Um, so that's all on me. You know, there's nothing wrong with that world. It's just that my brain and my aptitude feels completely inept in, the, in those situations. No. Whenever I'm around the arts, I'm relaxed. I can think better. I have ideas. It's that's where I need to be. So yeah, I just flew around in that planet for most of my life. You know, that's super cool. I love it. And again, I, I kind of see myself into that, even if I choose certain different routes. But it's, you know, advertising, branding. But I've always been having my own thing, right? Yeah. I, I had very very short amount of time where I was sitting in an office. And again, there's some people that thrive. They do amazing. They love mm -hmm. what they do. The teamwork. I mean, that the, they actually more like a hierarchy or whatever it is. But and yeah, I, I feel you. Let's talk a little bit more. Let's go back to now that we heard a little bit about you mm -hmm. to Charles Schultz and how he was embedded with his life literally in in this. So. What happened when, as you say, you know, somebody unfortunately passed or retire and, and you, somebody sits there and say, can we keep going with this? Is it going to be, you know, I don't know. I, I think Disney, I'm a big Disney fan. So how do you bring Disney when Disney is not there? And oh, that's you know? an easy answer. <laughs> Go for it. The, any Disney product has many, many hands in its creation, whether it's Disneyland or whether it's the movies, whether it was comic strips, there were lots of people who were Disney. Right. There was only one man who did Schultz, one right. guy. Yep. That's the difference. And when I was going to Japan a lot, I went there every year from about 20, 2005 to 2017 or 2018. Um, I was kind of one of the studio liaisons to Japan and I would meet with the licensees over there and uh, a lot of businessmen over there. Uh, but, and their art teams, you know, and they, it was very difficult for the first few years to, for them to get the concept. No, you can't just grab an arm from this pose and put it over on this pose to make Snoopy look like he's holding a sign up. It looks wrong because hmm. Schultz had a particular, uh, way of drawing his characters, they were perfectly balanced all the time. And one little thing would just tip it. And it, Schultz's characters are incredibly difficult to draw. Anybody will tell you that. And that's pretty much my job to, you know, try to mock his style. And I, I do a lot of artwork that was supplemental art that we couldn't find in the strip or source material. So I'll have to create it based on that and make it look like it. I do that every once in a while. Um, but we always try to use Schultz's work if we can, but every once in a while, great, but it's incredibly difficult to do. And so when they would be shifting around, I called it Frankensteining when they take body parts from other poses yeah. and put it together to make one 
It never worked. And so I told them, you cannot do this. You can't do this. And I gradually got them to understand the magic of Schultz's work. And then they started thriving. And we are so big in Japan. It's unbelievable. We're like the number three license in Japan. When I left, we were number two. I'm not sure if we still are. But we were bigger than Disney in around, around 2016 or 2017 or so. Um, so getting that sensibility across to the uh, businessman and how important Schultz's drawings are and how difficult they are and have to be treated with care, that's a lot of what we do at the studio. You know, how about the... How about, sorry to interrupt you, but how about the cultural, because you bring in Japan, I've been there, love the culture there, and yeah, yeah I see a lot of Snoopy and Hello Kitty, uh, <laughs> a few others, and, and they have a certain way, their character are very, I don't know, simple, very kid-like, but they do advertising with kid-like uh, character for yeah. important thing, insurance like companies. They have 10 poses of Hello Kitty. You can take an arm from one and pop it onto another right. one and it won't look different because of the simplicity. It's a little bit have. more of a doll in a way. Uh, yeah. Not, not in a negative way, but like you can take the arm, you can place it mm -hmm. and it's change very the simple. Position, and right? That and the simplicity breeds the kawaii or the uh, the cuteness factor right. of, mm -hmm. of their merchandising. And I'm not really sure what they see in Snoopy and Woodstock because most of it's about that for them. Right. They they like the kids in the strip, but most of it's about Snoopy. Um, maybe they see that as simple. Snoopy is incredibly complex for, for as an artist to try to draw. It's very difficult, yeah. but maybe that's it. Maybe they see it as, as a very simple and beautiful property. I don't know, but um, yeah, it's a very different aesthetic over there. How about the, the message though? Because I, I was also going to go there. Like, okay, so Schultz, took the society was living in, he, he brought Franklin, uh, mm -hmm. black kids during the, 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 the civil rights movement, and, and, and yeah. it, it did an important things. I mean, this is my impression. I didn't study the sociology of, uh, of the peanuts, but for me, he, he empowered a lot, uh, even the women. I mean, Lucy and, and all the other girls, they are, you know, they are, they're strong character from my perspective. Oh, and, yeah. And so he was reflecting the society of the time very well. He was helping it, uh, maybe also ma making statement. And then you take this, and th does it water down when you bring it to another country? Where it, it, uh, how do you translate the culture? That's my question. Well, that's it. Doesn't always translate. It doesn't. And and when when I say peanuts is the biggest property over there, like I said, it's mostly just about Snoopy. And the poses we can do with Snoopy and how they can get Snoopy's little body and face on as many things as they can. They're charmed by it. Deeply, deeply charmed by Snoopy. And um, some of it, it might be that he does these personas and things, but it doesn't, it doesn't get as deep as it does here. Hmm. You know, they don't quite understand a lot of the things that the Peanuts kids do everyday life. But they like it because it's American. Yes. A lot of times we'll get lettering on, on merchandise that doesn't make a whole lot. Of, I mean, it, it says something, but it doesn't make a whole lot of sense in the context of the illustration that they used on the product, say a T-shirt. Mm -hmm. But they just like the lettering because it's American or English, mm -hmm. you know. So there's a lot of that um, 
you know, a lot of people here think Japanese culture is really cool with the manga and the pop culture and all that. Very attracted to the. It's yep. the same way the other way around. You know, they yep. see a Peanuts as inherently American. And I think there's a lot of the attraction for that, too. But as far as the stories go, it doesn't mean that much to them, I don't think. Yeah, yeah. Can you, can you think about um, other strips or cartoonists that have kind of in the same realm of Schultz in, in terms of the sociological aspect and the character that, that grow and reflect maybe adulthood, but their kids? I mean... Calvin and Hobbes. I'm just throwing that there. I don't know how you yeah. feel about Calvin that. Calvin and Hobbes was greatly influenced by Peanuts. I think uh, people don't credit that as much as they should. I think. Um, but if Calvin, you think about it, it, it is right. I mean, there is the oh, relationship. Yeah. It's it's the absolutely. And right? uh, Calvin wears Linus's shirt. <laughs> He probably brought them in the same place. Uh, but it. It's not like he's copying Peanuts, but you can see mm -hmm. the influence there, you know? Yeah, and yeah. he wound up making it this beautiful comic strip with his own singular voice. Um, I'm not sure how much social relevance came in there, but um, it didn't need to. It was mm -hmm. more striking at the heart. And there's a comic strip by um, Patrick McDonald called Mutts that really pounds at the heart sometimes sometimes it's cute sometimes it's charming sometimes it's sad and then it's, sometimes it's funny but i love that you have creators out there and editors who allow these creators to get so human right. to play that range of emotions you know and a lot of cartoonists maybe they're they're timid or they don't want to go there um i can't imagine garfield getting very touching you know <laughs> But for a time in the 80s, Bloom County really hit the nail on the head. It had a lot of uh, socio-political themes in it, but it was a very charming setting with kids and uh, a couple of talking animals. You know, um, it, it, it spoke to the time of the 80s, you know, maybe even mm -hmm. into the 90s. I'm not sure how long it ran, but that was a pretty good, uh, pretty strong strip that yeah. really got it. A fantastic follow. So, talking about the kids, um, a lot of people, as they say in creative environment, um, you grow up, you forget you were a kid, and you don't want to watch cartoon anymore. You don't want to read uh, comics, or yeah, yeah, that's for kids. Like I don't care. I you know I, I go for that stuff. I watch <laughs> every single movie and, and all of that. But my question is how hard is to take the responsibility to to educate kids and give them a moral by by sharing the story and i think i'm coming more into your present role as educator or mentor so i mean i feel like it's extremely important in our society to i mean storytelling fairy tale even in the green brothers they've always been Like, okay, maybe they were not cute, but that's how you teach lessons to, to kids. The moral, don't get lost in the wood. Don't do this, don't do that. There is a bad uh, wolf out there. So, There are some cartoons out there um, that are good about that. I remember I was raising my kids. They're 18 and 21 now. But when they were kids, there were some cartoons that we found that uh, had some good moral lessons, but 
that's really hard to do anymore. It seems like um, the country's so damn polarized, and there's so much anger that people are afraid to teach any good moral lessons anymore. Someone's going to write a letter. Someone's going to shout about it on a news channel or something. I feel like a lot of it's been backed off, and that's not really a part of our culture anymore to instruct children morally. I mean, I don't know, maybe I'm just not tuned into it, but I don't see it that much anymore. A lot of the things that are aimed at kids, it's just, uh, you know, it's it's fun. A lot of graphic novels now coming up, and I, I'm i not going to talk much about that because I don't know much about it, but I know that there are a lot of people, um, a lot of my friends and pe colleagues that I've met have, are doing very well with, uh, with graphic novels to kids. Um, and I don't know if they have strong moral lessons in them or not. I know they're they're talking directly to middle middle age kids, uh, middle age middle school kids. <laughs> That's their target. Um, but I'm not really sure about the content. I don't read them, so I don't right. know. Yeah. Well, my but, my feeling. It used to be. Yeah, I mean, my feeling of that is that you know that's that's what people can kids can learn and people can learn even by watching it, it an entertainment tv show but whatever happens there you kind of reflect in what you see what you hear and so i think it's it's important but apart from that also maybe do choose a career maybe in in what you do right in in being an illustrator and i don't want to go in generative ai unless you want to um, <laughs> generative AI and, and artificial oh intelligence God. in creating that. So I don't want to open that can if you don't want to. If you want, feel free or you come back. Yeah. But my question here is more like how important is, I mean, you said since a kid you've been doing that. And I heard many stories of illustrators that like, that's what I used to do as a kid. Uh, either it was going to be a professional or not. That was my passion. So do you, do you see this still alive in our digital computerized society taking a pencil and and drawing yeah yeah both of my kids were very creative and they both love to draw um and paint and um the tools i use you know are, are adobe products and they're on the computer i even draw on a computer screen but for me that's very far from ai i'm using these programs as a tools to um create but I'm still using my hands and my mind. It's still coming from my heart. It's still human. It's not making fun of humans, which is what AI does. Um, and I'm greatly offended by AI having anything at all to do with the arts. It's like stay in your lane, robot. <laughs> because um, now AI is fantastic. It, it can get us to the stars. It can it can get us to, to planets. It can it can elevate our uh, our lives. I'm sure. I'm sure it's going to be able to work out rails. We're going to have I don't know. I mean transportation, fuel. It's going to help better our lives in all these ways. But why is it messing around with the arts? It's now in just about every art form including writing and uh boy that that's really a big insult to me because that is those are the expressions of the human soul that is not working out 
a timesheet, which would be great for AI. Work out how to how to you know distribute things in a uh, in an estate sale or something like that. That's fine. But when an individual's expression uh, is not being looked at as much as an AI creation, I think that there we're in big trouble there. And I don't know why these guys do this with AI within the arts. What are you doing? Why? Mm. And I think it boils down to a lack of respect for the arts that's always been inherent in the people who don't do that kind of thing. Yeah. So you, you see art, uh, art as a more um, artisanal endeavor, right? I'm from Florence, Italy, so I'm thinking the Renaissance. I'm thinking sculpting. I'm thinking painting and getting dirty. You do that, yeah. too. And, and I, I agree with you. I mean, I love AI. I talk about it. I talk about the future of it. And I use it sometimes as a, I'm not an illustrator, so I'm more of a writer. So if I, if I want to illustrate something I write, it's easy to say, hey, Jolly, uh, <laughs> design this for me. But it's never perfect. It's never inspiring, to be honest with you. And it's, it's also, good. yeah. But, but, but I think that to go back to the, the, the labor with your hands, you said uh, you, you use... You draw on a computer, but you're still using your hands. Yeah, oh. it's still it's still channeling an expression of an idea that I had, or um, something that that it's the same thing as if something hurt me and I wanted to write a poem about it, and I type yeah. it into the computer. That's still from my heart into my hand. On you're that. still pouring that, yeah. you, in a human way. Yeah, right. So I'm thinking, even if AI is not going to go. Back. And I don't want this to become a, a conversation about AI, but but let's go back to the storytelling. Yeah, I don't like that people think that now I can go to the artificial intelligence, say, write a story, write a good story. The hell is a good story, right? And the easy button, and it's crap. You know, garbage in, garbage out. That's mm -hmm. for sure. Yeah. So how do we try to keep, on your opinion, this love? for kids to experiment with their hands because there's a side of me that think that is in is innate in us is is it's a human treat to play with your hands as a kid mm -hmm. and i don't want us to lose that i don't want school to become art school to become here's your computer do everything here i think you still need yeah. to do it with your hands what's your what's yeah your it's funny my youngest is uh is taking a pottery class right now oh love first it. semester in college and uh and they'd never worked with clay before, you know, and Tara's always really clean. You know, they never really <laughs> wanted to have any dirt or anything. But uh, man, oh, man. Every weekend I see Tara and they say, oh, you got to see what I created. I made this so-and-so mug or I made a bowl or whatever. And so and yeah. I'm like, you really like this, huh? And they're like, oh, my God, it is so much fun. Um, we can't lose that in schools. Yeah, we cannot lose that at all. Any any kind of arts where the kids are using charcoal or pastels or pencils or clay or whatever like that. Like you said, they got to get their hands in it first. It's a big experience uh, growing up to to have that little corner of the of the brain filled. Yeah, and then maybe bring that to to the digital form as a medium, but you're still just using a medium. You're not using a thinking 
right. elements to it, right? Is a is a tool. It's just a tool, just like you know, you'd use a, a pickaxe to to dig it for gold in a in a mine. You know, you don't use your hands there, but because because that that tool is going to get into the dirt or the the wall quicker uh, and get your your gold quicker. Just like when I create a comic strip um, on my uh, my electric tablet and I'm drawing on the screen and creating it, it just goes faster than when I'm having to do it with my hand on paper, you know. And I can correct mistakes much easier on the computer uh, screen, you know. Um, Command Z, <laughs> if I get a line wrong, it could boom. Yep. I don't have to erase. So it, it takes a lot, you know, it makes things go a lot quicker and I'm not using up a bunch of paper, so I'm saving trees. <laughs> right. You know? It's how you interact with it. Yeah. Right? And, and I think that's important for any kind of technology to teach kids to use it, but still retain the, the humanity. So let, let's, uh, let's go towards the end here with uh, looking into not only the many life that, that you had, but to <laughs> bring the focus back on you, but the, your next, next step in life or what, what you're doing now and what you're envisioning to, to do maybe in the future or more. What's your, your next adventure? Yeah, I just started um, with the Mentor Project. I just started uh, teaching an art program or cartooning program that I created. And uh, I taught, the, it's in a small town in rural Tanzania. I went there for a week and taught my program to middle school kids. It went really well and they were very engaged. And I kept the, we kept the thing going. Um, I'd get on a Zoom once a month They'd all crowd around the computer, you know, and uh, I'd get the whiteboard out on the Zoom and I'd draw a lesson for them, something to work out. And uh, then each week I would send in to our liaison over there a lesson plan. So, and they just completed their semester. So they, they all got a certificate and everything. Um, and I'm going to teach that cartooning program for a week in January at the uh, Charles Schultz Museum which is right next to the studio in Santa Rosa. It's for kids. And uh, so I'm, I, I've got this program, this art program that I'm working up and it's got a specific theme to it. It's a little different and I'm gonna further refine it. The more classes I teach, I'm gonna you know, pin it down and uh, work it out and see where I can go with it. But it's been incredibly rewarding for these kids that they don't get to work on art out there in Tanzania you know, the, uh, there's, you know, there's some art there at the, in the town. Not a whole lot, though. Uh, but they are aware of cartoon characters and stuff somehow. I mean, I think some of them have TV and they can watch TV here. Mm -hmm. uh, and the, as I asked them, do you know Mickey Mouse? Do you know Snoopy? And yeah, some of them, they know some of those things. Uh, but they were all very, very excited to learn. And we had to pick about 12 or 15 kids um, out of all of them who raised their hand and wanted to take the program. They had to write a reason why. Mm -hmm. So we're going to maybe I'm going to teach two classes in June. I'm going to go back out there this summer and uh, teach for two weeks, maybe get two classes a day going. I don't know. We'll see where, where it goes. But yeah, I'm going to keep doing it. And hopefully, They'll send me to different places of the world, underserved areas of the world, where I can, uh, I can bring this strange avenue of art to them, and they can express themselves through that. It's uh, it's super cool, and and again, 
I'm going to bring a, a positive thing to technology again, which is it allows you to keep this going even when you're not there and, yeah. and keep the fire going. But again, it's that tool, is that medium, is not, is not the final goal, right? right. Um, one last question, because there's always this debate about being a natural-born artist and good at something, you know, mm -hmm. a musician. Oh, he's born with a with a gift of music, or he's born with a gift of illustrating and and drawing. And so, uh, in your opinion, how much is the learning aspect, and how much is the being natural or something? And and I, I came with this question when you were telling me about these kids that mm. maybe they never really took a class about art. Have you seen somebody more of? Oh wow! Yeah. This this kid is yeah. a natural and exactly. I have, I have seen that. Um, you can kind of tell. Yeah. And some of it is the attention. They they see something in their head and they want to get it down right. on the paper. There's a drive uh -huh. there. And other kids, they see what they want to do, but they are very tense and they're trying to draw it. It doesn't flow naturally. Hmm. They're still going to get there if they keep working, just as much as the kid who's a natural at it. And maybe when they're in their 30s, people aren't going to be able to tell the difference which one was the natural when they were 12. I don't know. Um, just so it's a rougher road for some some of them than others. Yeah, makes sense. And it happens, I think, in other form of arts, too. The mm. kids can grab a guitar and kind of like, okay, I can hear what I want to play and find the right notes naturally. Other are going to have to study maybe a little harder. Well, um, I really enjoyed this, Justin. I can't believe it took us so long to, to get it going, but I'm glad we did. We, we talked about a cup of coffee. It's a subject that I really love, and uh, I, I know you're passionate about it. You can tell from the way you talk about it. So open invitation here to come back anytime that, uh, that you, you want to share a story about arts and about the things that you do. Yeah, I would and, love uh, to come on again and talk about how I create a story within yeah. my comic strip because I've done that a few times. You know, I would it, love. It I take months to get through them, and they're very uh, big stories. Books. I mean, I, I, I'm going to book you already. You're in. Let's, okay, uh, let's do it. <laughs> I do have my own comic strip. That I've oh, been doing. oh my god! I've been okay, doing for about 18 years. Yeah, I, you know what? I I am my I am my own boss on the podcast, so. Let's talk a couple of minutes about that if you have time. As oh, okay. a teaser for the next conversation. How about <laughs> yeah, my uh, it's called Myth Tickle. Uh, it's kind of like saying mystical with a lisp, but really it's two words, mm. myth as in mythology and tickle as in something makes you funny, so you put it together, Myth Tickle, and it's on oh. Go Comics. They're the syndicate that syndicates it. And uh, um, you go to gocomics.com slash myth tickle. You can see it there. And uh, it's characters from mythology and legend all kind of put together, but they're young. They're like kids oh. they're kind of trying to learn how to be better deities, I suppose. And it's, you know, humorous <laughs> little strip. But occasionally, um, every few years, I'll have some grand uh, storyline that spans a few months where they'll go into some like uh, Asgard or they'll go into Duat, the Egyptian underworld, and have an adventure. You know, it's all mythology-based, you know, and we're uh -huh. very well-researched because my readers, they know more about it than I do. And if I make a mistake, I hear about it. 
<laughs> so I got to be on my toes with that. But, you know, uh, you, you mentioned that you love mythology a while yeah. back, I think. Okay, yeah. wow, this yeah. is an entire episode because yeah. I, I can totally see these little Thor and Zeus and, and Venus yeah. or whatever going on adventure together. <laughs> I do oh, have yeah. Thor and Venus, and there's a little uh, Japanese girl named Karma in it. Mm. Um, oh. The main characters are a dragon and a knight. Uh, and Anansi. And I have an, uh, an African creatrix goddess named uh, Ziva. And, you know, they pop up everywhere, wherever the joke would be best said by this character, or whatever. I just decide all that. And if you go there today, there's kind of a holiday card there featuring uh, the universal monsters, you know, like Frankenstein, Dracula, and uh -huh. Igor and stuff. A uh, little Christmas card there. So go check that out. Cool. I'll be sure to do so. And uh, yeah, I'll, I'll put the links, all these links that just, just share it with me and I'm going to put it on the notes. Okay. So on, on this podcast, people can go check it out. And absolutely, I want to dig into your brain on how you go from an idea to the story, plot, and, and actually the illustration. Uh, that I would be it. really, really, really fun. And I think at the core of storytelling for for what the core of this podcast is so great we'll see you again soon for everybody else uh subscribe to the show so you will know when uh, the next with justin come up and all the other storytellers that i have on the show justin this was real fun and i'm looking Thanks, forward Marco. to do it again i'd love to do it again all right bye everybody bye-bye We hope you enjoyed this episode of Audio Signals with Marco Ciappelli. If you learned something new and this conversation made you think, then add this show to your favorite podcast player, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and share the ITSP Magazine Podcast Network with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to connect your brand to our conversations and our audience, visit itspmagazine.com to learn how to sponsor one or more of our shows. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. Insights, solutions, and networking all come together at RSA Conference. Join a global cybersecurity community at rsaconference.com forward slash ITSP MAG24.